Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our first lesson from Acts chapter 8. Dear fellow branches of Christ the vine, there is a sad reality that comes with life as sinners in this sinful world. There are barriers and obstacles that get between people and God's grace and love. Wrong ideas, bad attitudes, evil plans and unspiritual policies, contrary desires, bad habits, ill-informed opinions, and yes, even matters of physics and timing, history and geography. And here's the thing about all of those barriers to the gospel. God does not like them. He is against them in a big way. Instead of obstacles, he is into opportunities and always has been. Remember how Adam and Eve ate from the tree in the Garden of Eden that they had been forbidden to eat from? And how that first sin separated them from their Creator, destroying their relationship with God? What was the first thing that he did? The Lord came to seek them, to remove that separation, to destroy that obstacle. He spoke to them. He invited them to confess their sins and then offered them the promise of a Savior in order to restore their relationship. All through the Bible, we see the same dynamic. The children of Israel were, were kept in slavery in Egypt, and he would, and Pharaoh would not let them go to worship and be with the Lord. Well, God broke through Pharaoh's iron will, broke through the, the vast arid wastes of the wilderness, and, and even broke through the waters of the Red Sea in order to bring his people through to be with him. Countless times after Israel entered the promised land, God broke down the obstacle of their unbelief and sin and rebellion, their, their adulterous relationships with idols and, and foreign entanglements. With, and he broke through these things with the chastisement of, of famines and invasions and more. Why? So that they would repent and that then his message of faith and forgiveness, which given through his prophets, would break through and fill their hearts with the comfort and joy of his gospel again. And of course, the greatest barrier breaking of all was when God pierced the separation between heaven and earth by sending his own son, Jesus to take on human flesh and live as one of us, bringing us truth and grace. Now, if that's God's approach to barriers, we, we don't have to guess what his approach will be towards conditions for the gospel. He applies none. Nowhere does he say, I will love you only if you do this thing and don't do that thing. Nowhere does he proclaim, 
My grace is for anyone, but only if they deserve it. At no time did Jesus ever declare, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, if they've made a good enough effort first on their own to save themselves. Instead, everywhere in the Bible, we find an unconditioned gospel. Good news for sinners, with no if supplying its promises only to the worthy, only uh, uh, giving opportunities for the lost to be found by their loving Lord and for the formerly lost to live by this same unconditioned gospel. That is what we find. And we see this in the life and ministry of Philip. We don't know a lot about him. We meet him first in Acts chapter 6. In those days, as the number of disciples was increasing, a complaint arose from the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve the apostles, called together the whole group of disciples, all the believers in Jerusalem, and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables, do these administrative tasks. Brothers, carefully select from among you seven men with good reputations who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will put them in charge of this service, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the entire group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, what was the problem that had developed in the young church there in Jerusalem? A separation and inequality had developed, one that was not at all in keeping with the gospel, not at all the way it was supposed to be when those Christians were loving each other as Christ had loved them. Some widows were being treated more poorly than others when it came to the distribution of the food. So this Philip, who was not the same as the Philip who was one of Christ's twelve disciples, Philip became part of the solution, one of the seven deacons appointed by the apostles to make sure that everyone was being loved and served with the same love and service, just as Jesus had loved and served them all the same. But not too long after that, the better known of these seven men, Stephen, got targeted by the enemies of the gospel. They trumped up charges against him, brought him to trial, and ended up stoning him to death. And after that, a great persecution broke out against the church there, and almost all the Christians, except the apostles, fled Jerusalem. And Philip was among those who left. The people he had been intended to serve were no longer there. But... Where he went was decided and driven, was moved by the unconditioned gospel. He didn't go and hang out with his fellow believers, and he didn't even go and preach the gospel only to his fellow Jews. No, Philip 
went to the city of Samaria. Yeah, the capital city of the Samaritans, the people who lived between Judea and Galilee, and whom almost all Jews considered to be half-breeds and heretics. They hated them so much that they would typically travel all the way around, days by foot, when they traveled between Judea and Galilee, just to avoid having to deal with the Samaritans or, or to eat their food or drink their drinks. But these Samaritans were sinners in need of a Savior, just as the Jews were. And so Philip did not allow that obstacle of racism to stand in the way. He went to them and gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ without conditions. And we read about that early in Acts 8. With one mind, the crowds paid close attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the miraculous signs he was doing. Unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. In fact, so many came to faith in Jesus through Philip's new ministry as an evangelist that the apostles in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to Samaria to help establish the church there. But was that success another obstacle to be overcome? Or was it simply that God had more opportunities in mind? Because something surprising happens next. God makes another move with the unconditioned gospel. The Lord sends an angel to Philip to tell him to leave that prospering ministry among the Samaritans, serving many people, to go down to the wilderness and follow the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And when he got there, the Spirit directed Philip to a fellow traveler, an Ethiopian eunuch, sent him to serve just one single person. Now, that may not have made much sense to Philip or to anyone else, but the gospel that he had, been re he had received and been saved by without conditions moved him to push past obstacles and objections to opportunities. And so he served, he witnessed, he obeyed, and he did the work he was called to, no matter what it asked of him. So when the Spirit told him, go over and stay close to that chariot, he did. And in it was a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was on his way home, sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, of course, at this point, Philip could just have said, Hallelujah! We have a Gentile who believes in God just as the Jews do. So committed, in fact, he travels all the way to Jerusalem and at some point purchased his own copy of the book of Isaiah. I know what I'll do. I'll greet him as a brother and be on my way. But Philip could not be satisfied with any belief in God, as remarkable as it may have been, 
He could not be satisfied with any belief in God that did not include belief in Jesus Christ. And obviously neither could the Holy Spirit or he wouldn't have sent Philip there. And soon the opportunity that God had created became clear. Philip heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will talk about his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet talking about, himself or or someone else? Now you may recognize that passage from Isaiah. It's from chapter 53, the chapter that we read every Good Friday, because it provides such a vivid and even graphic picture of what Christ went through on the cross and why. All those things that happened to him were things that happened for us and in our place. But that prophecy, even though it was written some 700 years before Christ's suffering and death, That prophecy showed how the Lord's love and grace moved the Messiah. Jesus, God's own Son, moved him to save all people, to be a sacrifice, to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Christ offered himself as the sacrifice that satisfies all of God's righteous wrath against human human rebellion, pride, and disobedience. He suffered and he died, pouring out his life, blood, and soul as the only payment that could ever count to redeem the guilty and give them life and heaven instead of hell. And he offered it without any conditions. He did not die only for his fellow Jews. He did not say, you do your best and then I'll take care of the rest. He didn't come to love only those who who could show that they loved him first. No. He offers salvation full and free to every sinner. Trust that he has done it and done it for you, and it is yours. And that's what Philip explained to the Ethiopian. And that glorious, gracious, happy truth worked its miracle in the heart of the man in the chariot that day on the desert road. We know that because of the the thirst that was created in his heart from hearing that message. As they were traveling along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is there to prevent me from being baptized? He was asking, Is there a barrier here? Is there any obstacle between this gracious gift of life, forgiveness, and salvation that is baptism and me? Philip 
would not allow any such barrier to stand, would not attach any condition to the gospel in this means of grace, because God would not. And so, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they stepped up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch did not see him anymore, but went on his way rejoicing. Yeah, the man rejoiced. Even though he, had no, he no longer had Philip there to instruct and encourage him, that man's heart was moved by the unconditioned gospel that had reached out to him, specifically him, and saved him. His heart was filled with joy because he knew and had experienced for himself, not just in the words that he heard from Philip, not just in the words that he read from Isaiah, but also in the water and word that washed him clean. He knew for himself that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of full and free forgiveness, the gospel of eternal life in paradise, was even for him. There was no obstacle for him as a non-Jew. No obstacle for him as a black African. No obstacle for him as a eunuch. For they had been kept out of God's people according to the Old Testament law. He was full of joy. And what of Philip then? The unconditioned gospel continued to move him. Philip found himself as Azotus, found himself about 20 miles away from where he had been. And as he went from place to place, he preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea, which is where we find Philip the next time, 20 years later, having established a ministry there. So Philip served. He evangelized. He obeyed the Spirit's leadings. He toiled and labored and, and walked and worked. He pushed past every obstacle and objection, pushed past them to the opportunities that God had laid before him. And now we take the same lessons about God's love and the same gifts of grace into our lives and into our callings we let the unconditioned gospel move us and move us forward in our lives and our callings, whatever they might be. We do not let the obstacles stand in our way because we are looking forward to the opportunities that God has given us. We don't let comfort or laziness keep us from speaking when it's time to speak the gospel. We don't let a resistance to the new or the unfamiliar or the different keep us from stepping out and doing the things that the gospel might be calling us to do. We don't let the opinions of others or who it is we are have grown up to be more comfortable with determine who it is we love or whether we really take God's words to love each other as, God, as, as in Christ God has loved us to heart. We even make sure, perhaps not so much as individuals, but as a church, 
that factors of geography don't get in the way of opportunities to give the gospel to sinners who need to hear it. We don't let advantages that we might have as family members get in the way or disadvantages that come with our families get in the way. Nothing. We don't let these obstacles stand because God doesn't let these obstacles stand. We push beyond them to the opportunities. The unconditioned gospel moves us. Interesting, one of these fruits of faith that comes with this is also that we ask God for whatever it is that we need. In, in both our, our reading from 1 John and our reading in the Gospel of John today, that point was made. God invites us, ask me for whatever it is that you desire, and I will hear. I will give it to you, my disciples. Now we understand that what God knows is best for us is what he gives us, not necessarily what we think we think is best. But you see, God doesn't let our current conditions, good or bad, stand in the way of giving us what he, in his grace and love and wisdom he wants us to have. So we trust him. And we step out then in the faith that he has given us. We allow ourselves to be moved and in doing so, we do exactly what Christ has called us to do as the branches attached to him, the vine. We continue to bear much fruit and prove ourselves to be Christ's disciples because that's what God's love and grace and mercy, what he's done for us in the cross and the empty tomb, that's what it does for us and in us and through us in all of our callings in life. The unconditioned gospel moves us. So be it. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.